0: The downside is, is that that's really going to hurt our YouTube analytics, so if you could just take out your device and log in and watch while you watch. <laughs> um, in all seriousness though, let me, um, I just want to uh, take a moment and, and highlight um, our, uh, our prayer focus this month, uh, uh, for this week in, in particular. Uh, we're talking about the Colombian Alliance family. And if you know anything about the Christian and Missionary Alliance, you know that we are a group of people who came together initially with the idea that we would grow deeper into Jesus as we pursued worldwide missions together. So missions work is at the core of who we are. Uh, one of our, our core values is that lost people matter to God, therefore they ought to matter to us. And as we look at, uh, at the Columbian Alliance family, uh, that's... That's a hard work to till there, that's hard soil. But uh, it's, it's because we lift them up in prayer, we support them with our Great Commission Fund, that they're able to continue to do what they do. So as, as you look in your bulletin, if you have one in front of you, you're gonna see that there's some specific needs that they have, uh, adequate housing, uh, practical supplies, running clinics for both short and long-term care, Hosting monthly outreaches where haircuts, meals, legal assistance, and eye exams are provided. Um, Launching health uh, brigands, um, which I think are like a brigade, which is a lot of people, um, which are small ministry teams that teach family health care, and the list goes on. Um, Would you join my heart with uh, the other Christian Missionary Alliance people from around the world today as we uh, pray for them? Jesus. Uh, you left us with a mandate to, to go and make disciples in, in all of the lands. You said that we would be your witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost reaches of the world. And uh, even more so, in, in Matthew, you, you tell us that uh, uh, once the gospel is preached to all the people, then the end will come. And so, we do pray that the gospel will be continued to preach, be preached uh, throughout the land, Uh, No more so than in Columbia as well as in Huntington, Pennsylvania. Jesus, you're our king. You are the reason we do what we do. It's not because we want to see each other here on a Sunday morning. It's not because we want to have YouTube uh, hits or anything like that. But we do this so that your message can get to to wherever it needs to go. So we do lift up our, our brothers and sisters in Columbia today as they have some significant needs there. Uh, Some are spiritual needs, some are physical needs, some are tangible and some are strategic needs. None of them have escaped your glance. You know more than we do of what can be done and what needs to be done in Columbia. As we partner with um, our believers around the world, we are also partnering with you. Our heart sings with your heart as people come to saving faith in you. And we long to hear that, uh, those those same words being applied even in this space today. We pray all of this in your sweet and precious name. Amen. So um, if you are an astute uh, observer, you will notice that down front we have uh, some... uh, Communion trays, Um, I'm going to just give you uh, right now some brief instructions. We're not doing communion right now. We're going to do communion later, but I just wanted to also give people at home an opportunity to gather their supplies together and uh, be prepared that when we do take communion together, we are not just doing it in this space together. We're doing it with those that are at home, people that are watching from around Huntington, Huntington County, and actually some people are watching from as far away as Washington State. So I would just encourage us uh, that as we do this, uh, that we do it uh, knowing that this is a unifying thing. Um, Doesn't matter what your political stripe is, uh, left, right, or center, um, we are gonna be unified around the table today. So with that in mind, here's the instructions. Wait for the ushers in this space to tell you what to do. (laughs) You're welcome. I will give you a little bit more, uh, better instructions. Um, We're going to ask that uh, you wait until the ushers dismiss you. You've all been to weddings, right? And you know how the ushers dismiss row by row? Well, that's what they're going to do. But they're going to dismiss from back to front. And then you're going to come down the middle aisle, and you're going to go out the side. Same thing holds true for our overflow room. And uh, how you do it in your living room, that's on you. Um, But in this space, because we don't want... We want to still maintain our physical distancing, but we also want to make certain that there's kind of an order to this. We don't want, we don't want a log jam sitting right down here because that would be weird and uh, unsanitary. So with that, um, I'm going to start by uh, sharing a brief story as we get into this message today. Um, so many years ago, and I cannot believe when I say that phrase, I literally mean like almost 30 years ago, I was stationed in Turkey. And um, I really enjoyed being stationed in Turkey because uh, what many people may not know about me is that I am, um, I love aviation. So when I went into the Air Force, it was like I was just home. And so I love aircraft and all that. And and I know that when I say, um, when I was in the Air Force, if you're a Marine or a soldier, you go, don't you mean the Chair Force? And uh, when I tell those same uh, soldiers and uh, Marines, that uh, I was uh, in support of Operation Provide Comfort, the first Gulf War. Um, They're like, well, how were your five-star accommodations? Well, let me just tell you that uh, for three months, my five-star accommodations were a general purpose medium tent, a GP medium tent at the end of a runway in Inserlick Air Base, Turkey. And I loved it. Because uh, like my first day there, see, the Allies, they were running 24-hour operations. You know, um, there was aircraft taking off at all hours of the day and night. And I got so good at discerning which aircraft was taken off that just by the sound of it, I knew what was taken off. Even today, if I hear an F-111 take off, I know exactly what it is. It sounds as if the very air is just being torn asunder. It just it's so powerful sounding. And I just, I know that that first day when I was standing there outside my tent door watching an F-111 take off, I probably looked a little bit like Forrest Gump when he saw Lieutenant Dan on the dock. You guys know what I'm talking about? Lieutenant Dan from Forrest... Okay, parents, if you have not shown your kids Forrest Gump... I'm just saying. Anyways, so Forrest Gump, he's standing on, the, on, the, on, the, on his boat and Lieutenant Dan's on the dock and he's his friend from Vietnam and he just sees him and he's just got this wonder look on his face. He could not believe who he saw. And that was me standing at the end of that tent when I saw that F-111 take off for the first time where you see the, the, um, the power of the F-111 as it shoots out its afterburner. And I just kind of I think in my mind that that's got to be a little bit about what was going on in our passage today. And I'm going to read it again. Um, Would you stand with me as I read again from Acts chapter 2, verses 5 through 13? Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontius in Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They've had too much wine. Have a seat. I just have some, uh, some very brief uh, observations from this passage here. Um, the first is that devout people of God came from everywhere. Devout people of God came from everywhere. There are a couple of ideas from this that we need to talk about. Someone who is a God-fearing person carries with it more this idea, not that they're afraid of God, you know, that you know, he's like the boogeyman. But this idea about somebody being a God-fearer is somebody who, who has placed their faith in, in God to such a degree that they've ordered their lives in such a way that the, the temple became paramount for them. So when we read in this passage that you have Jews and converts, the converts, the Jews were born into this. They knew what they were getting into as they grew up. It was kind of cooked in the pudding, so to speak. But as as the the new converts came onto the scene, the people that converted to Judaism, they had to be instructed on what to do. And, And so all of these people that we're talking about in this passage here, they've come from around the world to observe the different feasts that we read in Numbers. How many in here, and, and you can raise your hand and, and if you want to, but how many in here went and read uh, the passages from Numbers last week that I encourage you to go read from, for the feast? No, nobody. <sighs> go read Numbers this week, guys. It's, I, I know, I know it's, it's a struggle. I struggle reading it too. There are times that when I've been reading through the book of Numbers, I will actually just close my eyes, put my hand on the page and say, God, I know this is important, I don't get it, and I turn the page. So maybe that's what you guys did. But these Jews uh, and and God-fearers, they came from around the world to obey the the, the sacrificial system. And that's important for us to remember as this uh, passage unfolds and actually as the book of Acts unfolds. Because there's going to come a time where later on in the book of Acts, there's going to be this discussion on in order to become a Christ follower, do you first have to become a Jew? And with that comes a whole bunch of other stuff. If you have to first become a Jew... If you're like a 40-year-old man and you become a Jew and, well, you've never been a Jew before, you know that there's a struggle that uh, all men in this room know what I'm talking about. So, however, the whole reason that the people were there in Jerusalem on Pentecost pentecost has more to do with their devotion to God than anything else. They were obedient to the feasts. And that means that some of them had traveled quite the distance. And we'll talk about that here in just a moment. Um, But we see the early followers of Jesus and the happiness of Pentecost drew an audience because, point number two, the Holy Spirit's outpouring was amazing. The Holy Spirit's outpouring was amazing. Now remember me standing at the end of my tent door looking at that F one eleven taking off in in the distance. I just I picture. I think that's what Luke is trying to convey here is that there's just an amazement that happened here. Now, I used to read through this passage, and, and I would read through it pretty quickly, and I would miss something really super important here. And the thing that I would miss is this idea that it wasn't the, the, the fact that these, these folks are standing there, the, these 120 or so people in this room are talking different languages. I think it has more to do with the sound of the rushing wind that they hear. A number of years ago, Janie and I, we lived in Yakima, Washington, and we were sitting down to do something late at night, not late at night, like 7 or 8 o'clock at night, um, And all of a sudden, there was just this kaboom. I was like, I don't know what that is. But like uh, the goober that I am, I decided I'd get in my car and go find out what it was. Um, Turns out that somebody's uh, camper about a quarter mile away had blown up, propane leak. And uh, I just get this picture that the suddenness and the sound of the rushing wind in that room that day drew the attention of the people that were on their way to the temple to drop off a couple loaves of bread. It wasn't the fact that they were standing there talking. I mean, think about it like this. If you're in America and you walk by, uh, let's say, a restaurant, an outdoor seating, because you can't eat inside right now, outdoor seating, and you hear English, does that draw your attention? Not really. But let's say... Um, And so you wouldn't necessarily be paying attention to the different languages that were being spoke. You kind of would have expected that. So it's this suddenness. And it was an amazing thing. It drew attention. It brought people to investigate further. I get this idea that when the sound of rushing gale force wind suddenly filled that whole house that day, it drew a crowd. And, of course, people would want to check that out. The Galileans were speaking in languages from around the world. And that's because the Holy Spirit's outpouring was empowering. Now, we have to talk about the Galileans here for just a second, okay? Because even as you look at this passage, they say you know, that uh, these are Galileans speaking this. Think about the, the most backwoods, uncultured person that you can think of. Maybe like an Eagles fan. Um, this, that's a Galilean you know? remember that uh, in, in the gospels they would say things like you know, could anything good come out of Nazareth you know? and there's a distinction to their voice their quality of voice that, they, that, that people could tell that they, they were Galilean because remember when Peter was sitting at that charcoal fire as Jesus is on trial he would be accused of being a follower of Jesus well you're, you sound just like them he was accused of So there was a distinction to these Galileans. They were were known for being pretty uncouth. They they were uh, um, outlandish. They were unequated with other nations and languages. And, And as such, their assumed ignorance was why this was so shocking to people. But we know that it wasn't because of anything that they had learned. We know that it was the empowering of the Holy Spirit. So this contingent of uneducated, ignorant fishermen and their relatives and friends weren't speaking in different languages because they downloaded the Babel app onto their iPhone or gone to any sort of language institute. It was because of the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. They were able to speak in languages because they were yielded to his power. They were obedient to his promptings. And that drew people in. That sound initially got attention, but then them speaking in languages was attractive. The Holy Spirit's empowerment was attractive. Now, don't hear me say this. Now, I'm going to step on some toes, maybe. I don't know. Um, There's a a movement in the North American church that happened about 20 years ago called the Church Growth Movement. And what they would say is that we have to be attractive to, to unbelievers. Well, look at me. I'm not attractive. I'm not going to attract anybody. Except for Jeannie, And by the way, that's not me saying, no, no, Pastor, you're good looking. No. But the problem is, is that what we end up doing is we start setting systems in place that, that uh, bring people into the church. And it becomes a bait and switch. You know, you got to have a good coffee bar. you got to have a good worship band. you got to have a good this, a good that. And unfortunately... It is a bait and switch because it's not about what we have here. It's about who we worship here. If we keep that in front and center, then the rest is, well, it's kind of gravy. It's kind of gravy. So uh, the Holy Spirit's empowering is meant to be attractive. It's meant to be attractive. It's not meant to be something that we hoard either. But as the Holy Spirit is, is, is proclaimed, as he is uh, followed, as he is uh, the, the, the entity, the person whom we follow and obey, it's an attraction to the kingdom of God. And that attraction transcends buildings, it, it transcends borders, it transcends countries. The kingdom of God will advance. And, and so Luke, Luke lists, that's hard to say, try that yourself, Luke lists different countries represented in this first church meeting. He lists uh, the Parthians, the Medes, the Alamites, the Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, uh, Pontus in Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Libya, um, around Cyrene, Rome, both Jews and proselytized, Cretans and Arabs. I love the word Cretans. I just love that word, you Cretan. Anyways. I mean, somebody from Grete, uh, Crete. Uh, but, anyways, um, there are three continents represented here. Three continents. You got Asia, Africa, and Europe. These are not small landmasses, by the way. These are pretty large landmasses that are represented here. And the whole point is that they're starting to hear some certain so, some important things. Uh, I, I can't be certain what the message was that day, but we even see in here that um, they. Uh, They're talking about the mighty deeds of God. And i got to believe that what they're hearing that day is a message from creation to the cross. And then from the cross to their present day. They're hearing the message that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth to have a relationship with humanity. And then humanity gummed it up. And then there's a whole bunch of other stuff going on here. And then Jesus came so that the things that got gummed up in that relationship could be set right. And it demanded a response. And so they're asking that question even here What does this mean? And everybody in the hearing of my voice, what does it mean? The Holy Spirit's message does demand an answer. Whether you were a first century pilgrim in Jerusalem that day, or you are sitting in, the, in this church facility today, when you hear the message of the cross, it demands an answer. What does it mean? What does it mean for you personally? What does it mean for us corporately? But ultimately, it comes down to what are we going to do individually with the message of the cross? You see, by the way, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, that message of the cross is not null and void for you anymore. It still holds power for you. So what are you going to do when somebody tells you that Jesus died for your sins? Confess them one to another, by the way. I don't say, you know, to come and you know, call me and say, give me an enumeration of all of your sins. But confession cleanses us. It sets us right with Jesus. And when we struggle, there's a reason we struggle. Sometimes sometimes when we struggle to hear from Jesus, it might be because we have unconfessed sin. So as, as we look at this, The message that was being spoken that day was understood from. If we understand it to be a journey from creation to the cross, that message has not changed two thousand years later. And oh, by the way, there is no middle ground here. You either embrace it or you reject it. You either embrace the message of the cross or you reject it. And I get it. I get it. There are some people that would say, "I need to. I need to investigate further." Totally understand that. Uh, I know that some people would say, "Not yet. I'm not ready yet." Totally understand that. But let me just say it this way. Because we are not guaranteed our next heartbeat. When you are saying not yet, you are in essence saying no to Jesus. There's either a yes or there is a no. There is not a not yet. Because we are not guaranteed tomorrow. Each one of us could step off the curb outside this church and get run over by a bus. I don't know, do buses run in Huntington? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe that's a bad example. I don't know. But the truth of the matter is, I'm not trying to do this to turn, this is not a turner burn kind of, I'm not that guy. This is not one of those things. But I feel if you're going to make a decision to say either yes or no, or you're one of those not yet people, you need to know the entirety of what you're saying no to. You need to understand that. That when you do say no to to the message of the cross, when you are saying no to Jesus, what you are doing is you're setting yourself up for a, a separation from Jesus. You're setting yourself up for an eternal separation from God. So think carefully about your not yets. Think deep about your not yets. Because again... You're not yet is really just a no in disguise. So, I'm also keenly aware that because not everybody says yes to the message of the cross, that means that the Holy Spirit isn't for everyone. Whether you're a five point Calvinist or a true blue Arminian, we can all agree that not everybody says yes to Jesus. Not everybody says yes. But also, not everybody says yes to the Holy Spirit. I have good friends who I believe are Christians who would say that the the Holy Spirit empowerment, the the spiritual gifts, that they ceased when we wrote the New Testament, when that got canonized. And I love these men, and women I assume, but I'm thinking of a couple of men in particular, that they would say that, that we have no need for the Holy Spirit because we have the New Testament. And I would just say... I love you, and we can agree to disagree on this. But if if what I read in Ephesians five eighteen is true that that uh, we're, we're, we can be controlled by the Holy Spirit or not, that tells me that there is an ability for us to ignore the Holy Spirit. And I would just say that that's that's not for me. That's not for me. I'd much rather allow the Holy Spirit to to say. Rob, you need to do this, and that I would listen to that. I'm not saying that, uh, um, and and by the way, this is not a tongues issue. This is not a speaking in tongues thing. This is just me saying that the Holy Spirit is alive. He is well. Um, He can and will empower you for greater ministry. And I don't care if you're a youngster or an oldster. I'm not going to look at anybody in particular. You have the same Holy Spirit that your parents have you have the same amount of the Holy Spirit. By the way, you also have the same ability to say no to the Holy Spirit. I don't recommend it. Nor do I recommend saying no to mom and dad. So what can we do as a church do in light of these verses? What can we do as a church? I mean, if we look deeper at these, as a collective body of believers, are we encouraging Individuals become more empowered by the Holy Spirit or are we dividing on that? Are we in the power of the Holy Spirit proclaiming the gospel message in an attractive manner? Are we squashing what the Holy Spirit wants to do in and through his body of believers? Here's a big one. Are we expecting the Holy Spirit to show up today? Do we have that that divine expectation that God through his Holy Spirit power, is alive today. I think, honestly, that we can answer positively to these, at, at, at the very least, as leaders in this church. I, can, I believe that. I'm confident that we are attempting to proclaim the Spirit-empowered gospel message that is attractive. And I'm not, by the way, when I say that uh, I, I don't want us to be attractive, I, I don't, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that we need to make that the primary thing. We ought not be jerks about it. That would be unattractive. I think that we are looking for him and his guidance and the Holy Spirit's empowerment. But how about you individually? How are you with these things? If you were to take an objective look at your life, would it reflect more Holy Spirit and less you? Are you expecting God to still be working in your relationships? Are you expecting God to still be showing up in your life? You know, as a pastor, oftentimes what I hear from people when I say, hey, give me your testimony. Um, well, they, they start with, you know, uh, something that happened at Bible school in 1945. And then that's it. As if God just showed up in that moment and that was it for their life. And I would just encourage each and every person to understand that God is still active and, and, and viable and vibrant today. This is not a once and done kind of thing. He's not just here and then gone. He's not some sort of absentee uh, heavenly father. He is engaging with you. The question is, is, are you engaging with him? Are you working harder to be more like his son? And that doesn't mean more checklists. It doesn't mean anything like that. It just means, are you listening for the promptings of the Spirit? So what are some things that you can do that might be helpful for you? Number one, honestly assess your spiritual journey. Um, I remember a number of years ago, I sat down with a mentor friend of mine, and he said, you know, I need you to chart your spiritual journey. And he said, start with, you know, wherever you want to start. Start before Jesus, start after Jesus, start somewhere. But give me just kind of an idea of where you're at on your spiritual journey. And I will tell you that it looked like the EKG chart I get every once in a while from the heart doctor. It's just up and down, up and down. You know, there's some spiritual highs, there's some spiritual lows. But if we don't do this honest assessment of our lives, are we going to be able to actually understand where we need to see some growth? When we think through our, uh, our spiritual life, if we don't do that, we're missing the opportunity to hear from Jesus even more. Because then we, when we look at those uh, opportunities in our life, with some challenges maybe even, uh, I don't know, maybe some of you are going through challenges even today. Financial... Health. All of that impacts your spiritual journey, and so if you don't sit back and you do an honest assessment, you're going to miss an opportunity for deeper growth in the Holy Spirit. You're going to miss an opportunity to become more like Jesus. Don't just sit back. You know, and I love people who say this. Don't mishear me. Don't mishear me. Don't mishear me. A phrase that I absolutely I don't like. I don't like, I don't don't want to be more strong than that. I just don't like this phrase. This too shall pass. Okay, I don't disagree with you. It shall. But what are you doing in the meantime? Are you just looking for the other side of this? Or are you just Eeyore with a cloud over your head all the time? It says, oh, woe is me, but this too shall pass. I got to believe that when you have the this too shall pass time in your life, that that's an opportunity for you to go deeper with the spirit, not to just sit back and go, "Whatever happens, it's kind of like you know you go to an amusement park and you go on a ride and you know it's going to be an awful ride because you're older like I am. And you're just like, "I'm just going to close my eyes, it'll be better, it'll be quicker if I just close my eyes and let it happen." Well, that's not the way we're supposed to engage with things in our lives. Amusement parks, fine. real issues in life, not so much. Number two, after you've assessed your spiritual journey where there may be gaps, ask for assistance. Ask for assistance. I'm always amazed when I hear people say that I can do this on my own. Believe it or not, I hear that as a pastor. When somebody's deeply hurt because they've lost a loved one, well, I can do this. I'll get through this. I, I, I. I will tell you that as a pastor, these last two and a half, three months have been hard for me. Because I need you guys. You guys need you guys. And I get it. Zoom's an important tool, YouTube's an important tool. Those are really helpful. But I wonder, wonder if, you know, we, we read in the book of John that Jesus became flesh. And there's just something about that, that when we go from two-dimensional Zoom figures, avatars really, to being in the flesh with each other, it changes things. It feels good. Although all of y'all are breathing a lot, and it's warm in here. I don't know. That's the one thing I'm going to have to work on. So where there are gaps, ask for assistance. Where there are strengths, assist others. When you've gone through something, the Spirit will not leave that alone. That is not meant to just be an isolated thing. There are other people that have gone through the things that you were going through. If you've come out on the other side of addiction, you ought to be helping somebody else get to the other side of addiction. If you've gone through bankruptcy, you know what? There are people out there that are contemplating that, even right now. Before I met Janie, I was a paycheck away from homeless. Maybe even half a paycheck. I don't know. And I'm not saying that Janie, you know, bailed me out. Um, but uh, things changed in my life. When you go through something, don't allow it to be a waste. And finally, be open to feedback from trusted advisors. If you don't have somebody in your life who you can go to, um, and, and I, Chris uh, Fisher has, has full permission to tell me uh, you're a knucklehead, you're an idiot, you are a poor preacher, or anything like that. Um, conversely, he can also... <laughs> he, he's standing up, he wants the microphone. I don't know what he's going to say. Um, <laughs> no, um, I'm just saying that uh, he's also got full permission to say, hey, good job. You're doing that right. You're doing that well. We all need that in our lives because if you don't again you're just trying to white knuckle it on your own and if you've ever gone through addiction you know that white knuckling only lasts so long so and maybe maybe in a very real sense are we addicted to self-sufficiency i don't see that as being a biblical stance actually that's on the contrary of what we read in the bible So honestly assess your spiritual journey. Where there may be gaps, ask for assistance. Where there are strengths, assist others. And then finally, be open to feedback from trusted advisors. Will you pray with me?